tough, you have to be ethical. You wouldn't think it's too much to ask that women be paid the same amount as men for doing the same job. We really do need journalists who will act without fear or favour. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. Journalism has changed uh, so much, particularly in recent times. This is actually my second interview with Kathy Schnitzling. A few of the clips were corrupted and I fought against the overwhelming feeling of failure and incompetence. And it was actually Kathy that helped me through that. Like a lot of strong women in the industry, she genuinely cares about people. Not just the hundred odd staff she oversaw at the ABC, but anyone who crosses her path. She's one of the women I was most excited to interview. Like me, a country girl who moved to the big smoke to follow her dream. You're listening to Media Secrets. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining me. Now, as always, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of an elevator pitch when it comes to yourself so you can introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, my name's Kathy Schnitzling and I'm currently the executive producer of Landline, where coincidentally I started my presenting career at the ABC in 1991 mm-hmm. so it's, it's a bit of a return but I've worked in media in um, Brisbane Sydney and Melbourne and I've worked as a reporter and a producer and a news editor and a news director and I have worked as the regional editor for ABC in Queensland, so that's managing a lot of people and a lot of bureaus in in the country. And um, I've loved every minute. <laughs> it sounds like you've never slept before. Like it, I, with a resume like that, I don't know how you've fit in sleep with everything that you've done. And I have two children that I've raised on my own <laughs> as well. <laughs> now um, a secret. We'll we'll do that as well. Um, what do you think is a secret that people in the industry wouldn't know about us? I think that the public and even other journalists can often look at people who work in media and particularly I think in television and radio and they see them as being very confident, very sure of themselves and that they have a very clear direction always on what they're doing and that they're in control and that's not true. Mm. Some of it is true um, but it's it's not true. It's... Um, you have to be extremely resilient. You actually have to have a public face that shows, I guess, those things that look like you're in control and mm. you're calm and you're reasonable and re- and responsible so that people feel like they can trust you. Yeah. You could be dying on the inside. You could be wanting to curl up, you know. On the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't show that because... It um, then diminishes people's trust in Mm. you, whether that be the people that you're talking to for a story, which is the most important, Mm. your colleagues or your managers or the other people outside of your your current workplace who you might go and work for at some stage. Mm. So I think that 
it's a secret that we've got it all together all the time and we know what we're doing. Mm. Often we don't. We're quite opportunistic. We might go, oh, that's a bright, shiny thing over there. I think I'll go and do that. <laughs> and that, that is a quality, I think, of a lot of, um, a lot of people who work in media can mm. be very flexible and jump around and do that. Likewise, there can be people who really like just to stay where they are in the same position for as long as they can. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so what was it about journalism that drew you in? In grade five, I wanted to either be a writer because I liked reading books or an actress. Mm -hmm. So the happy marrying of those two things was to become a television journalist, Mm -hmm. which wasn't (laughs) – it was an accident though. I really thought that I would um, end up working on a regional newspaper because I come from the regions, I come from Mm -hmm. the country. I thought I would end up working on a regional newspaper. But my university course uh, in Toowoomba, which wasn't a university then, it was the DDIAE, was very broadcast oriented. Mm. And so I'd only been there um, six months and I found myself working on um, the journalism team that put together a current affairs program for the community radio station, which was based at the university. And so all of a sudden it opened up this other idea that I didn't actually just have to write for a newspaper. I Mm. could and I'm a, I'd like to talk, so I could actually use my voice. And yeah. then it actually was just by accident that I showed a couple of television producers from Channel 9 around the campus and um, ended up with a cadetship at Channel 9. Went from there. Yeah. Wonderful. And so what do you love most about it? If there was, you know, one or two things that you could choose, um, you know, after all the, this time being in the industry... What do you still love about it? I love the stories and um, I I like that there is always a story somewhere and I like finding those stories. In fact, um, I think on... um on Twitter, my my description of myself is that I'm a collector of stories, large and small, because mm-hmm. I like to retell stories, and I like to find out more. Because nearly everybody has a story. It's yeah. rare that someone doesn't have a story. And the fact that they don't have a story is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that part of it. I don't get to do a lot of creating stories, but. I equally love working with people so that I can encourage them Mm -hmm. and help them and support them so that they can tell stories and that they can reach the career goals that they want to reach and encourage them to um, not limit themselves, to actually have a big dream and then think, "How, how do I get there? And then to break it down on how you can get there. And... After this long, you know, working in the media, and the media is a pretty small industry in Australia, let alone in Brisbane, Mm. I know a lot of people. So um, I like actually connecting people. Why don't you go and talk to this person? Because, you know, they've done this before and they might give you some ideas on how you might get there. So I I take... um, I find that incredibly satisfying. I really do. Mm. Yeah. And being a country girl, did you find there were any real challenges when, you know, you were, you know, at Channel 9 sort of moving up to to the big leagues, I guess you could call it, or, or moving to sort of Metro standard? You know, were there any challenges there being, you know, a country girl? 
No. In fact, it was an advantage. Mm-hmm. I also was um, about four years older than most graduates because I had a four-year gap between school and university. And because I was from the country and I was very straight-talking, mm. the people... I got the attention of people who were like that and they liked straight talking and they liked people from the country Mm. and they liked that about me and that um, I knew what I was doing, I knew where I wanted to go. I may not have known everything about how to do television journalism but I would ask questions and I would give straight answers and also giving those straight answers wasn't just about... um, the story that I might have been working on. It was also when, you know, there were inappropriate comments, which Mm -hmm. were normal. You didn't, they weren't even labelled inappropriate comments at the time. Or I had a chief of staff who coincidentally was the one who I caught his attention, who actually used to whistle at me and called me Spot like a dog because I had this outfit that had spots on it was the 80s. Um, And he... I went, I'm not your bloody dog. Don't you whistle me. And so that straight talking back to him was like, here's the line. Don't cross it. Yeah. And because he'd already respected me because we had a pretty good relationship of straight talking, um, he he didn't cross it again. He didn't do it again. He did it once. Mm. And so were there any other challenges that you faced being, you know, young and female in what was a mainly male-dominated industry at the time? There were three female journalists, I think, working for Channel 9 at the time. One of them, uh, Petrina Zaffer on the Gold Coast, and she's still working for Channel 9. I mean, she must know everyone on the Gold Coast, I think. <laughs> and she was sort of covering that as a freelancer, I think, and she had she, she may not have had small children then, but she certainly went on to. And another woman um, who has been in New Zealand for a very long time and worked over there for their version of 60 Minutes and um, has won lots of international awards for her journalism and been all over the world, and me. And we did tend to get, you know, the Ecker stories, the dog shows, um, those sorts of things. But by the same token, we were also... They used to have a a morning news, a local morning news, which went to air, I think, at 11 or 11.30. So they would put the cadets on that shift. So that was me and Michael Bausch, who's from the ABC. He's been there a long time. So we would get sent out to do stories that then had to be turned around for 11.30 and we might get in at 6 or 7 in the morning, whatever the shift started. And, And it was like... And we knew nothing. Mm. We had no idea. The cameraman just basically, do this, do that. This is how you do it. And it was incredible pressure because you had to turn out a story. It had to be, you know, go out, get the story, Mm -hmm. write it, cut it, get it to air with 11.30. And when you're not used to doing that. So it was not about whether you were male or female. It was just... You just got to get the bloody story done yeah. <laughs> in time, so that was quite good. And I don't, I don't ever think that um, I was discriminated against because I was a woman. Initially, though, we were given those softer stories, but you know, also I was the cadet, mm. and um, the other female journalist, she was a little bit older than me and had a little bit more experience, but we weren't the most experienced journalists in the room either. But I, mm. I've always. Uh, been extremely fortunate and had very uh, supportive male bosses. Talk me through going from, you know, news and journalism and then heading into comms and then coming back. Talk me through why 
well, why leave and then why come back? And was that hard? Um, Channel 10 had a couple of rounds of redundancies and then it had a very big round of redundancies and we were to lose 11 people from the newsroom. And this was a very busy, productive newsroom, hour-long bulletin. There were days when we would turn out 12 packages and seven RBOs. It was very Mm. busy and very efficient and a really strong team. And that was all going to end and people were so distraught, so worried about the future. It was change. It was unsettling. But redundancies were offered and we actually only had to – all of them were voluntary with the exception of two. And everybody went on to do very well after they left and that people had a great fear that they wouldn't. And Mm. for me it was affirming to see that they did go on and have, you know, their careers continued. So I had – I didn't want to continue working there because they were reducing the numbers, they were reducing what we were going to do. You know, we only want you to do two packages a day and three LVOs. And I went, well, I don't want to do that. But I made a decision to stay until all of my brood had flown the coop. Mm. And also it was coming up to 10 years um, that I'd worked there. Yeah. And my relationship with the management wasn't fabulous. Um, so I stuck it out until my, um, my long service leave came through. So that gave me a degree of certainty. I'd spoken to some friends who worked in government and said, if, I, I don't know how to apply for a job in government. If there's anything, can you let me know? Mm. And they came back and they said, yes, there, there is this job which was in the Department of Health and was sort of like, oh, just pass me the poison chalice, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I I said, I I actually, I I don't know. I I don't know if I know how to do any of that. And this person had worked in television as well and they said, you do. You know how to do all of it. Just don't worry about it. Once you get there, you'll sort it out. And I went, okay, blithely. And so I got this job at um, the Department of Health which was still recovering from the Dr. Patel scandal, Mm. the payroll scandal, um, the fake Tahitian Prince scandal. So no one trusted Queensland Health, Mm. really. And we had – I was in charge of media and communication. So the media stuff, yeah, pretty much could do that standing on my ear about how to respond to crisis because – I'd been on the other side where we helped create the crisis. <laughs> um, but in that time, while I was there, very early on, there was um, Legionella was found in the Wesley Hospital in their water system and a man died. Jesus. And then the state government at the time took the decision to test the water system of every single hospital, clinic and aged care centre mm. in Queensland and that was part of our job was um, to collect all that data and handle it for God. the chief health officer. It's a really easy job. A really to easy do. job. And then yes. there was the, the big Ebola scare. And it was very easy working with the chief health officer and dealing with the media. That was all fine. Dealing with the minister's office was all fine. And I realised within three or four weeks of being there that I did know all of the stuff that had to be done, even in communications, internal communications, because 
it just had different names. It was just called different names to what we call it in television. Mm. And I had really great support too. I had people who was th- – that position that I went into had been vacant for a long time. And when I went into it, there were other people going, oh, thank God you're here. Someone's here. <laughs> thank God. And yeah. then they helped. They were really great help. And they explained to me how the public service works. Mm. And um, it's very – yeah, journalists have great transferable skills. Mm. You can – take those and move around and that's what I did and the reason I came back to working I guess in mainstream media was because um, I had a disagreement with the um, director general of health about where he wanted me to work and I needed a a job and there was this job going at the ABC and I thought, wow, regional editor of Queensland, that just suits me to a T. Yeah. Little did I know that I was leaping into a great three-year change program, <laughs> but it's been a great success and I've really enjoyed it, yeah. Did you in, did you have any fear of making that jump back into mainstream? Did you, did you think that you were going to stay in comms, you know, forever or for a long period of time? No, just like I said, oh, look, there's a bright, shiny thing over there. I'll just go and do that. Yeah. And it appealed to me, you know. It could have been the same as if it was a job, you know, it might have been a comms job with a company that was doing something that I was interested in. I would have gone, Mm. oh, that looks all right. I'll go and do that. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't, I didn't make a decision about, oh, I'm going to be a comms expert now or it just thought, oh, that's really good. I looked at my resume and I uh, thought, "Mm, big gap in my resume. I know nothing about digital at all. Mm. I know a lot about digital now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the ABC was, they have a digital first strategy. So, yeah, I've learned a lot. And so what advice has stuck with you? Um, you know, during your career, you've you've had a lot of a lot of amazing roles and a lot of unusual roles. So, has there been any time where you've got some advice and it's really stuck with you, and you've thought, "Yeah, that's that's true." I'd really love to say yes, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head except my own, I guess, personal motto for resilience, which is. Success is always the best revenge for those people who doubt you, and there will be doubters. It means, yes, that's hard, and that's the person inside that you don't show to the world. You think, well, I'm a bit wounded by that. Mm. You think, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this because I like doing this and I'm going to be good at it. It's not even really, you don't even think that. I'm just going to do this and I like it and throw myself into it. And you do that and you become good at it. And gradually, the, the, the doubters, what they thought about you. You, you, you've totally disproved the doubters and you've become a success despite their doubt because their doubt didn't undermine me. Mm. And when you say success is the best revenge, you don't actually have to go to the doubter and say, I told you I could do it because they stand back and they look at you and they go, oh, they can do it. And then it's all over. It's not about revenge or dish serve cold or any of those sort of things. It's just about, I'm just going to go ahead and do this anyway, even if you don't think I'm great. And I had that experience early on when I was at Channel 9. The news director, he liked me to begin with and I was doing stories and packages straight off the bat when I first went to work there. And then gradually he would 
only he, he wouldn't put me on air and I didn't know why and he would put me on cos shifts on the weekends and riding LVOs and overnight shifts and nothing where I was getting on air and I couldn't get cut through with either the news editor or the news director and so I just looked around I was bored I looked around for what else could there be and um, I rang the Today Show and said which was pretty like didn't have the profile it has now and rang and said oh you know do you think I could do some stories for you or something you know and they went oh yeah that'd be great and came up with a couple of stories straight out of the newspaper and I went off and did those stories I conned cameramen into shooting for me on their days off I conned editors into cutting for me on their days off and then I would have to have a dinner at my house and cook them some meal to pay them off (laughs) but we did some great stuff and I got to do some longer form stories and the Today Show was happy to put me on air even if um, they weren't putting me on air on the six o'clock news. Mm. And I was doing what I liked doing, but I didn't have any time off. Mm. And then another show came up where they were looking for journalists, young journalists who could do a long form story. And it was a national program and they wanted people who weren't known and pick me. So I ended up on that show, ended up back on the Today Show. And then when I was applying for a job in Melbourne as a producer for Channel 10, I put down my referees for the job and the news director at Channel 10 at the time said to me, right, well, these referees, clearly they're all your mates. I don't want to just talk to who your mates are. Well, they actually form a bosses, but anyway. I said, fine, because I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get this job in Melbourne. Why am I even applying for a job in Melbourne? I've just recently separated from my husband. I've got a three-year-old child and I've got no money. Why would I do that? Mm. I needed a job was why I was doing it. And I went, okay. So I really got. <laughs> so I said, all right, call this person who at that stage, he'd had some career malfunction and, and was news director at a TV station in Townsville. Mm. And he called him. And that was my same news director who hadn't been very nice to me at Channel 9. And he gave me the most glowing reference <laughs> and I got the job because he had always doubted me. Mm. But then he went and saw he, he saw what I had done with my career despite his doubt. And I have since thanked him for that reference. And he was lovely. He was really lovely. Mm. He said, well, you did well. You just did really well and gave me a hug. And I thought... Oh, that's good. That's really nice. Yeah. Now, you were talking about um, doubters. What if the doubter is you? The doubter's often been me. I used to spend my Christmas holidays in this terrible state of destructive esteem, dousing weeks of misery Mm. um, because I didn't think that I was as good as other people. I pegged myself at that particular time against Marie-Louise Thiel, who was was similar in age and we'd been in the industry about the same time. Um, And Marie-Louise is this beautiful, polished, accomplished young woman from a good family in Ascot, you know. I'm a truck driver's daughter from Thargaminda with crooked teeth. And... I don't know why I pinned myself on her. Why don't, Why can't I just be like her, you know? Mm. Um, and then I, I hadn't ever met her either. And then I met her um, at some function and she mm. was lovely. And I said, oh, so irritating that you're really nice as well. And she said, 
what do you mean? <laughs> I said, oh, sorry, I don't mean anything. Um, so I spent a long time doing that and I just, in the end, I just got bored with it because mm. it was just like, oh, can we just get over this? This is another ruined holiday. Just, you know, look at, I had to bring it back to, okay, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy going to the beach. All right, go to the beach. I enjoy reading books. All right, go to the library and get some decent books. Just don't think about yourself so much because that little voice in your head is is really, really irritating. It's boring. It's annoying. And you just got to look at the reality of what you've done, Mm. what you've done, who you are. Are you a good person? Yes. Have you got a good job? Yes. Do people give you opportunities? Yes. You go, shut up, little voice. <laughs> shut up. Get out of here. And, I mean, it's, I, it still happens. You know, even now, I'm 56 and it's still happening, mm. but not as much. At least not as much as and, it's, <laughs> and it's like just a little whisper now. It's like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So with 30-plus years in the industry, what advice would you give to young journalists listening whether they're interns or you know a couple of years always do what you love if it feels bad it probably is if it's just a little bit irritating or uh throwing you out of kilter stick with it for a while you know and see if it gets better because sometimes it does it gets better and you think oh okay so that's just me being a little bit uncomfortable with something new but if it feels bad and it makes you feel miserable you need to change what you're doing uh you should always love what you do often um when i talk to people that I manage you know and they're 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 struggling with something and they're not happy and they don't feel like they're getting anywhere and it's like well okay you have to change something and it's within your power to change it so or you know they'd ask me could they have this day off or could they do this or could do that do something else and I would say yeah well we can manage all that that's all fine and you know that way you're going to be happy about it and you're going to be more productive and I'm going to get more out of you than what I would get if you were unhappy because mm. you sleep, let's say, for eight hours. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, <laughs> if you're lucky yeah. Um, you, you work for eight hours and then you have eight other hours, which is, you know, the bits that are in between. And often that eight hours gets eaten into by your work anyway. Mm. Um so you really got to come down to what do I want to do with my life? And often you can be in love with the idea of being something. Yeah. I was in love with the idea of being the host of the ABC 730 report in Queensland. And I'd made that a goal for myself after going to some self-help course. And I was in love with the idea. I wasn't in love with the reality. And so I realized that in the end. And I was like, well, I actually enjoy telling stories and doing these other things. And so I never, ever tilted for that, ever, you know. Um, so you've got a question about is it, is it the job itself that I really like or is it the idea of the job? Just be careful of that, I think, because you can be in love with the idea of something and it's not the reality. So always try and do what makes you happy mm. or you know even if it's you go through tough times and you may not be happy as long as it's fulfilling in some way and you know that it's worth sticking to it in the long run but you do have to come back and question yourself about what it is that you want to do mm-hmm. yeah and I'm still doing that for myself and giving that advice to people who are like me in their 50s and they're going okay I love my job 
I love doing this, but there are these other things that I want to do. How do I go about doing it? Okay, well, look at what makes you really happy. So you're writing a novel and you really want to get it finished. Yes, I do, but I don't have any time. Okay, let's have a look at how you might be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Break it down into can you work three days a week or four days a week and spend two days doing what you really love because – you know, time is actually finite. You can squeeze a lot into time. You can expand it and you can oh, yeah. twist it around, but it's finite. Yeah. And it's your life. You get one shot at it, so you should try and be happy. And for you, it seems like upskilling is really important as well. Talk me through why you decided upskilling was important and especially in, you know, the 21st century and, you know, being an older journalist? Relevance. Relevance. Um, 20 years ago, 56-year-old women had blue rinse hair. They don't anymore. Um, And they can be invisible as well. I think there's still some of that that exists. But if I want to continue doing this job or being involved in media, you actually have to know about how it all works and how the media is. I mean, the reason I joined Facebook was because all the young people in the newsroom were talking about it and I thought I'd better have a look at this thing. I couldn't figure out texting to help myself for ages and I would get all these technical people in the newsroom, can you just show me? And it's like, I still don't get it. Yeah. And I went to the hairdresser I said, I just don't understand the texting because I could get yes and no. So they would text me and tell me they're on the way back from somewhere and go, yes. Ooh, look at that. And then the, the, <laughs> hair, yeah, the hairdresser went, oh, look, here, you just do this, 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 and this. And I went, that's so easy. And she went, yeah. And I had a journalist say to me after I discovered how to do it, gee, schnitz, I think I like the days when you could only do yes and no answers. Now I'm getting an essay. <laughs> You're subbing me before I've even written the script. So I think you need to, and I did those sort of things just to find out how it worked because I thought I should find out how it worked, which is really good because it's just exploded and taken off. And, yeah, um, so to be relevant, to be informed, you just have to be. If you want to stay doing it, you have to know it. That's, you know, it's no load to carry. Like my gran used to say that, you know, oh, well, skill is no load to carry. Just learn it. I can still pull a beer for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So what's it like being the EP of Landline? Very different from being the regional editor of Queensland. (laughs) Um, So I managed 10 people instead of 120. That's a big change. Mm -hmm. But it's um, a legacy program um, that's been very unchanged for a long Mm. time. It's highly valued by the audience so you don't want to mess with it because they'll get cranky with you Mm. uh it's working with long form which is very different from working with radio copy or tv scripts and i've done long form myself before it's uh i sometimes go at home at the end of the day and think what did I do today? I only subbed a couple of scripts, you know, whereas, well, no, but they were quite long scripts and mm. I've worked out how we're going to change this and how we're going to just make some changes to the workflows. And they might seem like simple changes to the workflows, but if the workflow has been the same for 25 years, that's not an easy task. No. So it is still about change, but not dramatic change. Yeah. And I'm dealing with people who are 
very, very experienced journalists who are very good at what they do, mm. very experienced editors and camos, whereas with regional, there's an awful lot of young people with not very much experience mm. or older people with a lot of experience in one thing and trying to encourage them to try something else. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but landlines a lot of, yeah, you know, learning new things to remain relevant and new ways of doing things. They've always, you know, picked up on whatever the technology is, but it is sort of like sitting down and um, instead of eating your lunch at your desk, if this is an analogy, maybe not a good one, (laughs) instead of shoving food into your face because you're busy (laughs) and you're working nine, ten hours a day, with Landline it might be a more considered, you know, slow food type of lunch where you're thinking about stuff all the time but in a different way, in a deeper way. Mm, it's good. It's a big change. It's a transition for me because for 15 years I've been mm. putting out fires every three minutes. So having three hours to consider something is a luxury. Wow. An uncomfortable luxury. <laughs> and you've taken a real shining to, you know, mentoring and mentorship and, and you know, helping others up that ladder. Why do you think it's so important that we have more of that in the industry, especially right now with so many young ones coming through? Because you need someone to give you some advice, to show you the signposts or to ask you questions about yourself so that you can work out what the direction is that you want to go in. And I don't know if I chose mentoring or mentoring chose me. Uh, At Channel 10, we had a lot of very young, enthusiastic journalists and and camera operators. And what we couldn't give in money, we gave in opportunity. So they got to do lots of things like cover the southeast, southeast Asia, South Pacific, and there was a lot going on in the, in the in the sort of from about 2002 on for about eight eight years or so. There was a lot going on in Southeast Asia: Bali bombings, drug trials, you know, Solomon Islands. There was all this drama going on, and um, we were the jump-off point in Brisbane. So having to be on the phone to those people and going, no, no, it's okay, just do this, do this, do this, because they may not have had all the experience in the world. Very smart, intelligent people, but they just needed to learn and they learned on the job. And so I think there was a lot of that that I did and giving people opportunities, going to Canberra, going, you know, doing all those big stories. Yeah, why don't we go and do the weather in Winton where the, you know, camel races are on? Can we afford it? Yes, we can, and this is how we'll do it. And stretching people and it was very, very rewarding and... um yeah, and I've since been studying um, coaching and mentoring at university and I was interested to see whether or not I'd been doing the right thing or whether I'd been screwing it up royally. <laughs> I have been doing the right thing, uh, but the course has helped me um, learn a lot of other things and open my eyes about how to manage teams and how to manage change, particularly in... Um, you know, really volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous times, which mm. is what the media is currently in and has been for some time and I suspect will be for a long time. Mm. So that's why I, I, it, it struck a chord with me and that's why I wanted to know more about it. 
and it's been very useful for me in my job, which has been a, a lot about in, in introducing change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so any other advice you think um, is important to offer or let people know about? Don't, don't do it on your own. And if there's someone who you think can help you or give you some information about something that you're curious about, be curious always. Journalists always need to be curious and straight talking. But just ring them up and ask them. You know, if you think, oh, I wonder whether um, Leonie Mellor at the ABC, who's done a lot of politics and a lot of health, um, I wonder if she could tell me about that because she seems to know about that. You know, how did she get to do that? Just ring them and ask them. People can be very generous with their time. So don't be afraid. And journalists shouldn't be afraid to ask questions of people they don't know because that's what the job is. No, I thought we'd try something different as well. Something called um, Fast Facts, where we just sort of, it's a quick Q&A round yeah. kind of thing. Um, what motto did you do you live by? I'm not being very fast here. No, that's uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I've already mentioned success is the best revenge, but just be a good person. Be the best you can be at whatever you turn your mind to but be a good person that's a perfect one um where has been the best place to work either company or location channel 10 in brisbane between you know in those years from about 2004 through to 2008 that was a very stable place to work we were doing amazing things we were learning new things we were testing new things we were leading the network with what we were doing and it was a really, really strong team. Mm. And your dream job, what is it? Doesn't necessarily have to be in the media. Isabel spoke about how she'd love to be on Broadway. Uh, dream job would be still being involved in the media, I think. I uh, would like to um, work, work with work at probably as a consultant I think with media on you know some internal strategies for getting the best out of people I'd like to do that and I would like to do a bit of crisis comms I suppose because it's interesting and there's a bit of adrenaline and there's a bit of a deadline and it's urgent and you must do it now Mm. and um, I'd also like to have the time just to sit back and write and take photographs and interview people and tell stories collect those stories large and small and Mm. tell the world that's awesome and um, anywhere in the world you would live where would it be if you could live anywhere Look, I've just come back from this one-week sabbatical to Thargabinda and going out to the dig tree in Inaminka, and um, I've spent a long time convincing myself on the trip back not to move out there. <laughs> I don't think I would uh, probably live there. Um, I think probably on the Darling Downs. Beautiful. Um, and an unusual skill or talent that you might have? I can light a fire without fire lighters. Wow. That's... One yeah. thing to do, yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, cool. <laughs> Probably can still pour a top beer. Pour that a top beer. beer. And um, I'm really good at making quilts. Wow. That's really cool. 
therapy after covering cyclones in North Queensland. There was one for Cyclone Yazi. There yep. was one for Larry. Um, when I was going through like a marriage breakup, I made this massive quilt because I kept just sewing and sewing because I was thinking because it was another part of my brain I was mm. using. And, um, yeah, the reconciliation quilt, I've still got that. And the thing was it was the irreconciliation quilt. That was it. <laughs> The decision I reached at the end. Sometimes it's good to do those small therapeutic things while yep. the back of your brain thinks about stuff. So are you going to have a room somewhere with all of them just shoved in there to we'll the use point them. where you can't, you know, close the door? Oh, no, no, we use them. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy. Is there is there anything else you think is is relevant or worth saying? Just make sure you love what you do and you enjoy your life and you have the power to change your life if you're not happy. Perfect. Thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Of course, a podcast like this simply wouldn't be possible without the support of the amazing organisation Women in Media, the Queensland-based team, and the ever-wonderful Caroline Graham. She's a Walkley Award winner. She's been so supportive. I'm so thankful for having her. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. So if you've got any feedback, I would really love to hear it. So contact me on social media or contact me through the website. Until next time.